All right, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 6, and we'll be looking at the first three verses uh, in our introductory reading, and then looking at the entire chapter, hopefully this evening. Once you found that, if you're able to, if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, verse 1 is the harem uh, speaking to the farm girl, and then verses 2 and 3 is the farm girl speaking to the harem. So just a little bit of context here before we read. Okay, verse 1 says, says, Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? The farm girl replies, My beloved is gone down into his garden, to the bed of spices, to feed in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. The title of the Bible study tonight is this, Overcoming the Power of Peer Pressure. Overcoming the Power of Peer Pressure. We live in a world that wants to push us into a particular mold when it comes to relationships and how they work, especially when it comes to marriage and dating and romance. And we need to make sure we're not caving and giving into the world's model, but sticking to God's model, because God's model is best. And so we'll see that play out uh, in the um, uh, Bible study tonight. Let's pray. Lord, take what we are about to look at and make applications to our hearts and lives. For some of us here, it will be an affirmation of the way we already live. For others, it will be a challenge maybe to make some changes. But Lord, make um, the application to each one of our hearts accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, real quick, uh, let me just recap for those watching online, maybe for the first time, or the one or two in the room that uh, this is their first time hearing the Bible study on Song of Solomon. Uh, There are a couple of ways this book is taught. Uh, One of them to me is a little bit weird, and it's the idea that Solomon is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the uh, girl he's speaking to is the church. Uh, I don't take that view. It is the traditional view of the book. And it is the one that's been around the longest. Uh, But I don't believe that's quite how it works. In fact, tonight I think we'll lay out some more evidence as to why that's not the case. Uh, I believe a little bit different here. I believe that the farm girl is, or the Shulamite girl, is engaged to a shepherd boy. And she's been captured and brought into Solomon's palace. And he is attempting to make her his 141st lover, uh, wife lover, And she is resisting and resisting and resisting and trying to get away. Solomon, instead of being a picture of Christ, would fall in line with being a picture of Satan. And the shepherd boy who's outside of the palace would be the picture of Christ. And the young lady would be a picture of the church. And so that's the narrative here. Uh, She was brought into the palace. The harem, the 140 women, they are madly in love uh, with Solomon, at least physically, sexually in love with Solomon, and Solomon comes in, we've seen now two seductions to date prior to this uh, message where he's tried to seduce her. The second one he got a little over-the-top graphic, way over-the-top graphic, describing her physical beauty, uh, trying to woo her and win her into marrying him, and both times she has held her ground and stated her love for a different person, and so that brings us uh, to where we are Uh, Last week's Bible study, 
we saw, uh, in fact, look back at chapter 5 and verse number 9. We see the harem questioning the farm girl as to who this guy even is. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, the harem says to the farm girl, What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou dost so charge us? Well, this comes on the heels of a nightmare she had, where she um, thought her, her beloved was outside of her room in the palace there. By the time she, in her dream, could get her house coat on and get the door open, he was gone. She goes out in the, in the night in her dream to look for him, and what ends up happening is, is she's captured and um, she's beaten by the police officers of the town. And uh, she has her clothes torn from her. It says they take her veil away. And she says to the harem as she's recounting this nightmare, she says, If you find my beloved, tell him I am sick of love. Verse number 8. If you find my beloved, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. And so, again, just an, a couple of more pieces of evidence that Solomon would not have been her love. Um, she's in Solomon's palace talking to Solomon's wives and concubines, um, and clearly she cannot find her beloved. So if her beloved is Solomon, she wouldn't have been looking for him. And then verse 9 offers yet another piece of evidence where these, the harem, the, the, the married women and concubines of Solomon say, well, what makes him so special? What is thy beloved more than another beloved? What makes your man so special? Why would have the harem been asking Solomon, or rather, been, why would have the harem been asking this farm girl about what makes Solomon so special? They were married to him, and at this point, she is not married to him. In fact, at no point, in my opinion, would she be married to him. They would have been lecturing her. In fact, when you open the book, the book opens with the harem describing Solomon. Why would they turn around and then ask her what makes Solomon so special and to describe him? Clearly, her fiancé, her beloved, is a different person than Solomon altogether. And that brings us to chapter number 6. And we see here the farm girl, by the end of the chapter, is going to be again preparing to leave the palace to reunite with her fiancé. So let's jump into the outline tonight. And um, I want to uh, pull some things out I think will be very practical for us this evening. Point number one, notice, the harem starting to crack. The harem starting to crack. Okay, look at chapter 6, verse number 1. And notice here the harem speaking to the farm girl. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? This man, she can't find him. Whoever her fiancé is, is lost. She has lost him. And the harem says, describe your beloved to us so we can help you search for him. And uh, they are beginning to realize uh, that she is the real deal and we want to help you find him. Now, let's do this. Go back to chapter 1 and verse number 8. Chapter 1 and verse number 8 in the book here. Uh, and look here at, uh, I believe, the harem. The, and again, the harem is the 140 women that were already Solomon's lovers. Look at the way they talk to her at the beginning of the book. So to recap, verses 1 through 4 uh, of the book, the harem uh, opens this opera, this uh, play set to music, 
talking about their sensual love for Solomon. Verses 5 through 7, uh, we see the farm girl talking about herself in self-abasing terms. Verse number 8, we see the harem jealously speaking to her what I believe is a sarcastic tone. They say to her, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of thy flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. Now, I believe here they're being sarcastic with her. And when they say, O thou fairest among women, what they're really saying is, O you little beauty queen. Oh, you little beauty queen. Now go ahead back with me to chapter 5, verse 9, where we were just a moment ago, and I believe the sarcasm is beginning to become less and less. And here there's still maybe a hint of sarcasm in their speech, but they're beginning to see that this girl is no threat to them. She does not have her eye on Solomon. She's already pushed Solomon away in his advances twice, and maybe uh, there's still a little bit of guard-up resentment toward her. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women. And I, I believe that sarcasm is beginning to wane, and they're really beginning to see that this girl isn't quite the threat they thought, that she's the real deal. And then we come to chapter 6, verse 1. Whither is thy beloved gone? O thou fairest among women. Now I believe by this point of the book, they really believe that she might be the fairest among women. They really believe that this young lady is someone extra special. You see, Solomon would come into the palace and bring these girls in one at a time, and they were falling all over themselves for him to marry her. Uh, this girl's brought in, and she tells Solomon no, not once, but twice. And we'll see again. She's going to tell him a third time, no, I'm not interested. And they respect her. They're surprised at that. The harem is starting to crack. Their harem is starting to crack. Now, a point of application that I want all of us to take away from this tonight is that people who are skeptical of your faith need to be con convinced with time that you are the real deal. Amen. That's what they need to see. They need to see in you uh, that your faith isn't just some crutch that gets you through a tough time. And that your faith is not a fad, a, a stage of life, that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and that you are uh, walking according to the Bible, and you have a walk with God, and that it is real. It is real. How many of you here have ever been made fun of in your neighborhood or in your family or at work because you were a Christian? How many of you here have ever experienced that? You know what that's like? Can I tell you something? Those people who belittle you and make fun of you, for your faith, and by the way, they'll point out every single hypocrisy about you, won't they? Uh, they will do things that are just, just godless to try to get under your skin. And the second that you lose your cool with them, you know what they're going to say to you? You're a Christian. You shouldn't be behaving that way. Isn't that what they do to you? And uh, they they're going to call. They're going to call you on the carpet. They they can do whatever they want. Because they're not Christians. But the second you join in or the second you, your spirit gets a little sideways, you show up late to work one day and, you know, your, your car broke down on the way or, you know, your kid threw up and you're trying to get out the door to work and whatever the reason is you happen to be late to work that day, well, I thought you were a Christian and I thought Christians were on time. And they're right there to put that right back in your face. And, you know, that's okay. Christians aren't going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. But you just smile and you do your best and you forbear and you, uh, you live a life that's honest and integritous and a life of Christian morals and values. And guess what? 
just like the harem with this girl, in time, they're going to see there's something different about him. There's something different about her. The way they live their life, the way he lives his life, the way she lives her life is just a little bit different. Uh, They are above the rest. They're above the fray. Everyone else is bashing their spouse at work, but he never joins in. In fact, he talks complimentary about his spouse. Uh, all the, everyone else uh, 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 wants to get away with this at work and cut this corner, do this. But no, she's not that way. She's honest and she follows the rules and does what's expected of her. And uh, listen, uh, the world needs to see that Christians are authentic. Amen. We're the real deal. We're not perfect, but we're giving it a good effort. Um, when you back out of a parking spot at Walmart and you bump a car and they're not there to see it, do you just drive away and hope no one caught you? Or do you slip a note under their windshield that says, here's my name and number, I I damaged your vehicle, call me, we'll get it settled. You see, um, uh, the world looks this way and this way, and if they don't see anyone, they drive off. Christians ought to look this way and this way, and then look this way and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it in a way that pleases you. And so let the world criticize. Hey, let your family criticize. They may, you know, pick on you for being a religious loon or a, 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 a nut, right? A, a, Bible, a, a Bible believer, a holy roller. However it is they want to label you, let them label you. But over the years, let them see, hey, no, listen, they are the real deal. Some of you in here tonight, you live in a home that's hostile toward Christianity. And you make sure you don't give in to the pressure, the peer pressure, of going against the Bible. You stay with it. So, number one, we see the harem starting to crack. Number two, we see the girl stakes her claim. The girl stakes her claim. Now, in, in verse number one, they ask, well, well, first of all, in chapter five, verse nine, they, they ask, who is your beloved anyway? Tell us who he is. And verse 10 through 16, she goes on and describes her beloved to them, the shepherd boy. And then, in, uh, so the question in verse 5, who is your beloved? Or chapter 5, verse 9, who is your beloved? Chapter 6, verse 1, the question is, where is your beloved? Where is your beloved? We want to meet this guy. We want to we want to find out uh, who he is. We want to get to know him, and we want to help you find him. He he sounds like he's just something special. And so, verse two and three, she stakes her claim as to uh, who he is and where he is. Look at verse two. She says, "My beloved is gone down uh, to into his garden to the bed of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among." The lilies. He feedeth among the lilies. Now, a couple of things about this. And remember, this is a a play set to music. And so there's an artistic side to what we're reading here. But a couple of things that are symbolic in verses 2 and 3. And then we'll get into some points of application. First of all, remember, she is a farm girl. Uh, She uh, 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 talks about over and over again her working in a garden and her working in an orchard. So she's a farm girl. And so when she says that my beloved has gone down into his garden, uh, what she's saying, I believe she's romanticizing about their wedding day. And she's saying, I have kept myself to, for him. I am the garden he's coming down into to enjoy. And then remember in chapter 2, in fact, turn over to chapter 2 with me and look at verse number 1. 
chapter 2, verse number 1, the farm girl here is expressing her commitment and love uh, of her fiancé to Solomon. Look at verse 1. She says, I am the rose of Sharon and what? The lily of the valleys. The lily of the valleys. Go back to chapter number uh, 6 with me and look at the end of verse number 3. She says, He feedeth among the lilies. She is the lily. She is the lily. And so um, uh, what she's saying to these girls uh, is, and again, in a uh, in sort of a artsy way, she's saying, uh, where is my beloved? Well, my beloved is coming down to get me. I am the garden and I am the lily. He loves me and, and he's coming to get me. He's coming to get me. So we see the girl stakes her claim. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here. First, look back with me at uh, verse number three. She says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Now, the modern marriage counseling is this. Retain your own individuality in marriage. You can be married, but don't give up your individuality. If you go see a secular counselor to get marital counseling, they'll tell you that you need a his bank account and a her bank account. And you need a his car and his name and a her car and her name. And uh he pays these portion of the bills and she pays her portion of the bills and he has his job and she has her job and he has his friends and she has her friends and it's these two separate lives that coexist. And you know what I call that? I call that being roommates. I don't call that being married. Now, um, the Bible teaches a very different model in marriage. And this model is that we lose our individuality into each other. She said, I belong to him, and he belongs to me. Our two lives are going to become one life. Um, What does the Bible say? It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and cleave unto his own wife, and they too, watch this, they too shall become one flesh. They too shall become one flesh. I think it would be a good idea for both names to be on all bank accounts. I think it would be a good idea for both names to be on any purchases of any property of any sorts. You say, well, that makes it harder to get divorced. That's the point. That's the point. Some of you in here have done some marital counseling with me, so this will be familiar to you. But, uh, you know... um, Sometimes two people are complete opposites when they get married. How many know what I'm talking about? Two people complete opposites. Opposites attract. Amen? Okay. I married my wife. She's from Peru. Uh, When I started dating her, she spoke English, uh, but her English has gotten a lot better since we first met each other. And my Spanish has gotten a lot better since we first met each other. And, um, you know, uh, I was like milk. Amen? I'm white. I was like milk, and she was like chocolate syrup okay caramel syrup but you get what i'm saying here right and um and and i'm real uh uh uh, smooth and 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 creamy and and she's she's dense i mean she packs a punch and you know what we've done in marriage is we've gone from being milk and chocolate syrup to being chocolate milk we've become one you know what happens when you take thick chocolate syrup and you put it in a glass of milk and you stir it real good you go from having chocolate syrup in the, in the refrigerator and milk in the refrigerator to having one beverage, 
chocolate milk. And you know what? That's the goal in marriage. You take the two of you could be completely different from each other. And I'm not talking about being unequally yoked. Amen. You need to share the same morals and values. And you need to share uh, the same belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to have the same ideology toward uh, a marital life and parenting. But God brings oftentimes two people with two totally different personalities into a marriage. And the goal is, over the period of marriage, to go from being milk and chocolate syrup to being chocolate milk. The world would say hey, you go and do your own thing, and the Bible says you too shall become one flesh. Number two, we see the girl stakes her claim. Number three, notice Solomon's seduction ends. Solomon's seduction ends. Now, this is not the last time Solomon is going to speak to the girl. He's going to speak to her again in chapter 7, but this is his last passing attempt uh, to try to uh, get the girl to marry him. And this would be a very uh, weak attempt. Uh, but nonetheless, it's his last pass at her, if you will. Let's see. Brother Mike, could you get me a glass of water? Brother Mike, Sarah, could you get me some water? That'd be great. I had five guys for dinner, and I had one too many French fries, and my throat is dry. Amen? But the hornback didn't eat them, so I had to eat them. Um, uh, so we see Solomon's seduction ends. Look at verse number 4. And let's read down through verse number 8 here. She sa- he says here, and by the way, if you're marking in your Bible from 4 down through 9, Solomon is speaking to the farm girl, okay? Look at 4 uh, at, uh, down through verse number 8 for r- right now. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Terza, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. Thy teeth are as a flock of sheep which go out from the washing, whereof every one beareth twins, and there is not one barren among them. As a piece of a pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks. Look at verse 8. There are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number. All right, let me give you an A, B, and a C here below number 3. Notice letter A, subtle approach. Subtle approach. We see Solomon here is far less aggressive than he was in his second seduction. In his second seduction, he started with her face, and then he began to work below the neckline and went way out of bounds. He had an R-rated description of a girl that he wanted to marry him. Now, here in his third approach, I think he has realized that dirty talk is getting him nowhere with this young lady. Thank you. All right. Dirty talk has gotten him nowhere, In fact, he's come at her twice, the second time with dirty talk, the first time less so, but definitely the second time with dirty talk, and if anything, it backfired in his face. And so he can see, I need to keep it above the neck, Uh, I need need to just describe how pretty her face is, and I need to leave it there. Now, let me just say this for some levity in the message this evening. Uh, Guys, I highly recommend that you not go tell the romantic interest in your uh, life that uh, she has teeth as a flock of sheep that bear twins. All right, I don't think that's going to score you any brownie points. Um, There's other ways to tell your your lady friend that her teeth are really white than to tell her that she has uh, sheep uh, that bear twins. And, um, you know, um, uh, uh, telling a woman that her hair is as a flock of goats I don't think that's going to score you any points either, all right? Brother Chad, I don't recommend you tell Miss Gabby that her hair looks like goat's hair, amen? I don't think that's going to score any points. So 
just trying to help, trying to help you out, my man. Um, but um, here we see a more subtle approach. He's complimenting her, but he's trying to stay within her boundaries. I think he realizes the last time he came in on his bridal car, you know, with that's paved with love, as the harem said. And, you know, he's laying up there with these soldiers carrying him. And he comes in talking all provocative. And she just kind of rolls his eyes at him and says, I don't want that. I've, I've done better than that. And so we see here a more subtle approach. Let her be, notice, sway of peer pressure. Sway of peer pressure. And uh, I want to just really uh, pause here in the message and make a strong um, uh, plea with you all. Look at verse number 8. Solomon says to her, there are three score queens. That means he has 60 wives. Look here. And four score concubines. That's 80 uh, concubines and virgins without number. You know what Solomon is telling her? He's saying to her, I've already gotten 60 women to marry me. I've got 80 women who live for one purpose. That's to sleep with me whenever I want. Those are the ones that just live here in my palace. 140 women. And then look at this next cocky phrase. He says, and virgins without number. Now, uh, let me explain what that means. He had a house of virgins. These were girls who were being prepared for him sexually. And he could go take his pick anytime he wanted. But he's not just saying the girls that are in that house of virgins. He's saying every single virgin in this country would, would do whatever it took to be with me. You know what he's saying to her? He's saying, every woman wants me. What's wrong with you? Why don't you want to be with me? I'm trying to make you wife 141. Every woman in this country wants me, and you're just shaking your head and saying, no way, no how. Now, whether or not you agree with my interpretation of this verse and of this book, I think everyone here will agree with this application. Um, the world is pushing an agenda on us sexually, and they're making Christians feel as though if we don't go along with what they want, then we have lost our minds and we're weird and crazy. Just like Solomon put this girl in a corner and said, you're the only one here that doesn't want me, there must be something wrong with you. The world puts the, uh, the, the Christian in the corner and says, Hey, transgenderism is normal. What's wrong with you? Hey, homosexual union is normal. What's wrong with you? The world tries to put the corner in a Christian and say, sex outside of marriage is normal. Why won't you participate? What's wrong with you? And mark my words, the day's coming where polygamy will be pushed on America as normal. And if you don't buy in and celebrate polygamy, you'll be condemned. I'm just here to say this evening that you don't have to go along with the pressure of the world. Amen. You can take a stand where the Bible takes a stand and let them label you however they want to label you. You know, um, throughout the history of mankind... 
marital relations have been between a man and a woman. Only in the last decade or so in our Western culture has it been celebrated the opposite direction. And I just want to look at all the people that are pushing this garbage on us and say, I'm not the one that's lost my mind. You're the one that's lost yours. We're going to stay the course. Now, I think it's always good and appropriate to say this here. Christian, our position in the world is offensive enough by itself. We don't need to be offensive with the way we present ourselves. You don't need to go and put your finger in someone's face and condemn them and call them names and use homophobic slurs. That's totally out of bounds. You just stand and you stand up for what's right and you be sweet about it. This young lady was not mean, she was not rude, but she held her ground. And that's what we're called to do. Don't give in to peer pressure. If there happens to be any teenagers that are watching this either now or uh, later, I just want to say to you, you go to school and all your friends are sleeping around with other kids in the school or, or claiming they are or pushing you to do that. Purity is still a thing and you be pure, and uh, listen, it may not be popular in your school or with your friends, but it is popular with God in heaven. And one day your friends' lives are going to be ruined, and if you'll stay the course, your life will be in in a good place, Uh, you'll, you'll be in a much better place, and I'll just say this to you, one day you're going to give an account to God for how you handled your sexuality. You're not going to give an account to your friends one day. And God knows what's best, you follow His plan. Don't you give in to your peer pressure. Letter C, notice, surrender and defeat. Look at verse number 9 of um, Galatians chapter, or rather Galatians, no, Song of Solomon chapter 6. Song of Solomon chapter 6, and look at verse number 9. And we kind of see here that Solomon is beginning to throw in the towel on the idea of getting this girl to marry him. Uh, The Bible says, My dove, my undefiled, is but one. Of all the girls have stood before me, You are the only one that's undefiled. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughters, and here we see the harem, those 140 women. The daughters saw her and blessed her, yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Here she's been brought into this palace. And um, uh, first the harem was jealous of her, uh, maybe a little cat fighty with her, right? Uh, get away from our man and there's already enough of us that have to share him and here you are coming in and now they've totally changed their mind on her and they have an opinion that uh, she is unlike anything they have ever met. The queens and the concubines praise her and Solomon says, of all the girls that have stood before me, you are undefiled. You're the only one. You're the only one. Solomon said, I did not win this conquest. I tried, and I couldn't get there. Turn over with me to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 7. Proverbs 16, verse 7. And I want to make a point of application that uh, whether or not you are dating, married, single, uh, all the above, no, no one would be all the above, but wherever you fall in there, uh, I want to make an application for you uh, this evening. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 7. The Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. You see that there? 
When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. I've quoted the verse out of Romans several times lately, but Christian, we're commanded to let not our good be evil spoken of. We're not to do good the wrong way and in a way that can be condemned and criticized. Here this young lady took a stand for what she believed and uh, she opposed the most powerful man in the world and swatted his advances away and uh, uh, made good with a harem who was jealous of her and did not like her. And at the end she gained their respect. And my friend, you may have people in your workplace, in your life, in your family that don't like you. You may have people in your uh, uh, a place, uh, rather, in your world that look down on you for being a Christian or even are hostile toward you, my friend, you handle them with love. The Bible says that we're to love our enemies, uh, Matthew 5, 44, and we're to pray for them that despitefully use you and um, uh, uh, all of those things. Bless them uh, that revile you. So uh, do those things. Heap hot coals of fire upon their head through your kindness and what you'll find is that your enemies will be at peace with you. So we see uh, number three here, Solomon's seduction ends and we see his surrender and defeat. All right, uh, two more uh, thoughts here this evening. Number four, notice the harem's shock. The harem's shock. And if you're marking in your Bible who's speaking when, we said verse one, the harem is speaking to the farm girl. Verse two and three, the farm girl is speaking uh, to the harem. Verses four through nine, Solomon is speaking to the farm girl. Okay, verse number 10, the harem is speaking to King Solomon. The harem is speaking to King Solomon, okay? So look at uh, verse number 10. The Bible says, Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners? Just a quick note here. When you see the word terrible in the Bible, uh, in the 1600s that word terrible meant something different than it does today. The word terrible back then would have meant like our word awesome today, okay? Uh, Or tremendous. Terrible, tremendous, awesome. But not like terrible in a bad way, okay? So that word terrible has ended up with a negative connotation. It did not have a negative connotation uh, when the Bible was translated. So, uh, and awesome as an army with banners. Look at verse number 13. Verse number 13, this is the harem speaking to the farm girl. It says they're returned. Return, O Shulamite, return, return, uh, that we may look upon thee. What, uh, what will ye say in the Shulamite? Or, uh, what will ye see in the Shulamite? As it were, the company of two armies. Now, I don't believe that the harem, or rather the farm girl, was leaving quite yet. But I believe she was beginning to pack her bags to go. And they're saying to her, hey, don't leave. Don't leave. We want you to stay. We're impressed with you. Um, I get what they're saying out of verse 10 when they're speaking to Solomon about this girl is they're asking the question, what kind of woman is this? What kind of woman is this? Look back at verse 10. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun? What kind of woman uh, is uh, this? Um, in verse 13, again, she's not leaving, but she is preparing, beginning to prepare to leave the palace, and the harem is begging her to stay because they are enamored with her. Let's move on and look at point number five. Lastly here, notice the girl's steadfastness. The farm girl speaks to the harem in verses 11 and 12. 
Look down here. And I think there's a great, great, great point to be made here that comes back to our title about peer pressure. She says to the harem, she says, I went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley and to see whether the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded. Okay, so what's she saying here? We'll read verse 12 in just a moment. She's saying, I went down into the valley of the fruits and nuts. You know where she went? She went to San Francisco, amen? No, she went into Solomon's palace is where she went. And she said, I went into the valley of the fruits and the nuts. Now, I don't think she's calling everyone in Solomon's palace, you know, a bunch of snowflakes. I don't think that's what she's quite saying here. Uh, but can I tell you what I think she is saying? She's saying, I, I went to Solomon's palace to see what all this glitz and glamour and riches and comfort was all about. I, I've come in and I've looked to see what... All of Solomon's wealth has to offer. And what is her conclusion? Look at verse 12. Or ever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of Amenadab. You know what she said? I've seen what I needed to see. It's time for me to go. I've seen it all. I'm good. Hey, Solomon's palace is great for a vacation. It's no place to live. I don't want to live in a polygamous marriage with 140 women uh, and counting. There's something better for me. She says, I've seen what wealth and comfort have to offer, and now I'm ready to go. You know, some want wealth and glamour over morals and values. I'm sure somewhere in this world there is a man or a woman, for those of you that are single, who is both rich and godly. Can I tell you, there are few and far between, okay? Rich and godly. You know, I believe that, um, and, I, and this is a great, great point of application here. I believe that this Shulamite girl, uh, when she, before she got taken into Solomon's palace, I believe she looked at her shepherd fiancé and she thought, I've gotten myself a good man. But when she got into the palace and she saw who Solomon was and who the harem was, she came to the conclusion of, no, I didn't have a good man. I had a great man. Now watch this. A lot of people will ruin something good because they don't think it's great. How many churches have been ruined because somebody felt like they had a good church but not a great church? How many pastors have been run out of town because the deacons felt like they had a good pastor, not a great pastor? How many people have left a job because they thought this is just a good job and not a great job? How many people have uh, left a marriage because they felt like their spouse was a good spouse but not a great spouse? And you know, sometimes we need to be reminded that what God has given us, we need to be content with. We need to be content. She says, I came down into this valley. I've seen the nuts. I've seen the fruit of the valley. She said, I've seen what I've needed to see. There's a lot of wealth here, but it's time for me to get on my chariot and go home. I don't need this. All right, one last thing. Here's the, here's the point. It is better to be in a relationship with someone that has morals and values than someone that has dollars and cents. 
You're better off living in poverty with someone who has a backbone of character and integrity and loves God than you are living in a broad house, having nice things, and being impoverished morally. And uh, those of you here that are single, I know we have some single people in the room. Those of you in here that are single, I'll just challenge you. Don't go looking for someone with money. Go looking for someone who's rich in their love for the Lord. You settle for that. You say, well, we're going to have to nickel and dime it for a little little while, and we're not going to have a whole lot up front. That's okay. That's all right. You're better off marrying that than marrying someone who's filthy rich and is going to run around and be loose with their life. Those of you here that are married tonight, I would say this. Take your eyes off of everyone else that is not your spouse and rejoice in who God has given you. No matter who you're married to, um, that person is not going to be perfect. Um, There is no perfect spouse. And sometimes in marriage we see the flaws of the person we're married to and uh, our eyes are on the flaws and we're not looking at the good in them. And we need to take the time to look at the good in people and rejoice in that. And let's make sure that we are having relationships that please the Lord. And we're having God pressure, not peer pressure. And let's overcome that peer pressure. So that's the Bible study tonight. Hope it's been a blessing to you. I look forward to chapter 7. Next week, chapter 7, we get into the goodbyes. The harem is going to say goodbye to the farm girl. Solomon's going to say goodbye to the farm girl. And the farm girl is going to say goodbye to Solomon in the harem and she's going to leave and in chapter 8 she gets married and so we've got two very exciting chapters in front of us let's stand together to be dismissed with a word of prayer I hope the Bible study was an encouragement to you tonight I hope you're challenged uh, to go forth and make some godly applications to your life the world has its messages preaching through entertainment in every corner in every way don't give in to the world's message it's broken it doesn't work let's follow God and the Bible and his plan for relationships